so the thing I found with podcasting uh, at HFW is that for most people, it's this is their first time. I mean, when we did our first podcast, that was my first time on a podcast. And so you have oh, to get yeah. people used to the idea of of talking into a mic. It's really just a conversation. I, I think the best podcasts are, it's a conversation and you just happen to have microphones there to recording. It. Yeah. So I think that's a lot of the, so it's interesting that Rogan kind of just uh, eases into it. Well, I think people feel self-conscious. I mean, I don't know many people who like hearing themselves speak. No. <laughs> and so you're kind of, it's almost like stage fright. Yeah. Where you get nervous and you get like clammy and you're worried about what are people going to think. But yeah, I think that's a good way to go about it. That's the way I've been trying to think about this. Yeah. Where I'm not, like, I really don't want to put on a performance. I just want to be myself and <laughs> be normal and just talk the way I normally do. Yeah. Like, we you know, the way we talk yeah. every day, just normal conversation, right? I think you and I have some great conversations. And and I guess I'll give a little bit of just a brief intro. Sorry for everyone listening, because I kind of just cut into the middle of the conversation. Trying something new, I guess. Yeah, but uh, so we got episode eight with Jacob Samland uh, for the formal introduction, I guess. And um, yeah, I think we're just having a conversation. And that's that's really been the goal of the podcast is to get you know, get people on a little bit longer format, um, people, allow people to tell their stories. And I mean, it's just, it's awesome. You, the best days for me are talking to people you don't talk to every day around here and, and you just hear something or they tell you a, a part of their story or their life story that you had never known before. Um, and it, I don't, you come away with the, you're like, wow, I never knew that. And it, I don't know. Yeah. And there's a lot of those guys here and, and gals who are like, they have so much wisdom and experience. I think Fred Niedermeyer is probably a good example, <laughs> you know, um, where you're talking to him and he just knows things that he's just picked up over the years. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, how the heck do you know all this stuff? And is really, I mean, the honor is getting to sit here with those guys and talk to them and trying to pick up as much as you can, right? That's what I talk about all the time or I think about all the time is just trying to, I mean, you and I are both, uh, early on our careers we've been here less than a year and just trying to learn from these veterans that they don't have much longer at hfw necessarily but they've been around they've seen everything inside and outside of work you know whether it's um working on a part here on a machine or just you know fixing stuff at home or in, in life with relationships and stuff you know i, I know you you and i were listening to Kevin's stories uh, the other day and um, <laughs> yeah. you know, Kevin's got some more colorful stories than a lot of people, I think, but uh, growing up in the falls, that, that happens from time to time. But yeah, I don't know if I would always take his relationship <laughs> advice, but uh, <laughs> I at least appreciate that he's giving me advice. He's even got if I wisdom. Take yeah. it. He's got, he's got experience. Um, the, the growth by hard knocks, I guess. Yeah. So yeah. He's got a lot of wisdom, <laughs> maybe not relational wisdom that I would use, but uh, general life wisdom. <laughs> I definitely actually taken a lot of the stuff he said to heart. Yeah. And I mean, I, we have a lot of those guys here. Uh, you mentioned Fred. I, Fred, it, it'd be funny to see if you can find something that, that Fred couldn't find a way to fix. Um, and we had a lot of that. I mean, when I was a kid, we had a, at a, we had this toy wheelbarrow. It was, it, I don't think it was very expensive. Um, but the frame broke off of the actual like wheelbarrow. And so my dad brought it in and he had Vinny who used to, who was a welder here for many years. Vinny is like your classic Italian guy. You can hardly understand him because his accent is so thick. Nice. 
And uh, he started, uh, I heard a story, or he might even told me, he started welding at like 12 years old in Italy. Um, and I've heard, I've heard uh, varying rumors of why he came to the United States. Um, and we'll leave it at that. But he, so anyway, my dad would always bring in our broken toys and our broken like kitchen utensils and Vinny would fix it for him. And it was always a source of pride for Vinny and my dad <laughs> when things would break around my home. My dad's like, I'll take it to work. Vinny will fix it. And we have so many of those guys here. Yeah, they're they're everywhere, and like like I said, it's kind of uh, it's an honor to be able to learn from them, especially someone like myself who doesn't have a ton of mechanical experience. Um, I'm kind of in awe of and Ben Niedermeyer is another great example. Like, he just, yeah, I wonder where he gets it from. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, just the experience they have and being able to look at something and take all the prior knowledge and apply it to one problem that I'm stuck over. They just have an answer right away and you have to appreciate that and not take that for granted either because that didn't exist at HFW or in manufacturing in general. We'd really be in trouble. You know? People always talk about the tribal knowledge and um, I, that's why I think it's so important and I've been pushing hard in, in our recruiting and, and to get people in the door like you like me, I mean, even Devon in, in marketing, you know, he's, he's really the first person we've had in marketing, but just to get to spend time around guys that have spent their whole careers in this, he gets to learn the business and, and you and I are learning the business. And then, uh, you know, the younger, we have so many younger guys and I think it's, it's important to stock up on them now while we still have, um, some of these, these veteran guys on board. Uh, I, I thought it was, you know, I was thinking about this last night. It's interesting that, I had Rich on last time and, and you on this time. It's kind of like a, a, a juxtaposition. You're on kind of opposite sides of the, sides of the spectrum. So it'll be easy or it'll be interesting to see um, your perspective versus his perspective. And I think the the difference or the it's helpful when you blend those two together. I think you get a really cool thing. And I, I know you spent a lot of time with Rich in a couple yeah, months here. Yeah, I, uh, I really like Rich and I would never tell that. I say that to his face. Um, <laughs> But he actually is an awesome guy and uh, and an excellent machinist. Not that I'm a really good judge of that, but if other machinists say <laughs> he's an excellent machinist, then I'll, I'll believe them. Um, but yeah, he's got a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience. Um, and also just a good guy to talk to. You yeah. know, uh, I really enjoy chatting with him. And obviously we ran the turkey trot uh, last year, which was a lot of fun. And I think it is a cool juxtaposition. And... I think if you're a young person and you're not trying to get to know the veterans and the seasoned guys um, that you have kind of in your, your spheres, then I think you're really missing out. And so, you know, I don't want to take the opportunity to have that for granted, you know. Um, but yeah, Rich is a great dude. and uh, Yeah, I think... There's just so many. I, I I was telling someone this the other day. Maybe it was Kevin. I don't know. Can't remember. But it, it just, I just feel like in in a, in a blue collar industry like manufacturing, you just get just an amazing group of people because obviously the working with your hands know how to fix anything, uh, but just the down to earth attitude and and people, you know, it, it's a no BS zone i guess and yeah. and i don't know it's just it's just refreshing especially with all the craziness on social media and, and in, in the world um 
it's just the old school um, world of, of, of manufacturing. You just get some really, really good people. And HFW is a great example, I think. And not just downstairs, upstairs too. You know, a lot of our engineers here, um, you know, I think when you picture an engineer, you picture this person in, uh, you know, a button down shirt and in a stuffy office. And all of our engineers, I'm pretty sure, have started in the shop or have a significant shop experience and, um, and are in the shop every day. And I just think that that, uh, I don't know, it keeps you grounded and it's, it's what our country relies on. So there's, there's a great book and maybe you've read of it or read it. And then we were talking about books earlier called, uh, shop class as soul craft. And it's all about, um, kind of the blue collar work ethic and what it does to you, um, mentally and how it builds you and grows you. And, I think the author used to be working for this think tank, I think in Washington, mm-hmm. and he quit to start his own like motorcycle repair shop. Oh, Have you heard of this? I've heard. I haven't read it. I'm going to read it now. So I've good. heard of this though. So good. Yeah. And so he opens up this motorcycle repair shop and he kind of writes a book about his experience and his disillusionment with think tanks and these kind of, you know, I'll say cognitive jobs, let's say, where you don't see anything tangible produced from your work. Yes. And I know we've talked about this before yes. and maybe we're beating a dead horse, but it's worth beating um, <laughs> because it's true that there's something so good for your soul to see something tangible produced by your hands and something that you actually created. And there's this amazing feedback you get from that. And it also really grounds you because you're interacting with the physical world in a way that someone who is doing, you know, pushing ones and zeros on a computer screen all day or pushing paper around doesn't experience. And maybe it's, I think it's just not talked about that there is something so powerful about that. And it really does ground you. You're focused on the physical world in front of you in a way that's very tangible. And anyway, it's a great book. You should check it out. Uh, I absolutely will. I, I think you you nailed it. I think it's well, one. It's changing the perception of the trades, in in showing that it's. I I don't know where the idea and we and Rich and I were talking about this. The idea that if you go into the trades, you're an idiot came up, or or where I don't. I it was probably started by colleges or something to you know get, convince people that you need to go to school. And, and nothing against school. You and I have both gone to school and, and, um, and we, we support education. And obviously that's one of the benefits here is the tuition assistance. But just this narrative that if you don't go, if you go into the trades, like it's kind of like a last resort. I don't, that's not true. And, and so um, I'm glad, I think things are starting to change now, especially when you look at things like the college debt problem. Yeah. Um, and, and to your point, the lack of fulfillment in a lot of these office jobs uh, I just read this book, uh, pardon my French, called the or called Bullshit Jobs, and it was the exact premise was what you're just talking about. That there are so many jobs, well, there are so many unnecessary jobs in the world where you're literally doing nothing. You're literally pushing paper around, and if that job didn't exist, no one it wouldn't. No one would be worse for the wear. Like it, the example was, I mean, there were a couple examples of this in the book throughout the book of people who just didn't do anything in their job for six months. There was one case, a guy didn't show up to his job for six years before anyone noticed. I mean, that's crazy. And in the way, um, not only 
in manufacturing, but for a small business like us, that's impossible. Every single person has a has a enormous presence and importance in this business. You know, we have one guy that goes out sick, right? One guy's out sick, um, can't come into work. That uh, his absence is felt, and so I think that hopefully that gives people meaning and, and like what you do really matters and not just to the business, but to the world. So I, I know there's some people who maybe think that these jobs um, where you don't do anything are like the dream. Yeah. Right. Like this is what you want to get someday where a job where you get paid to do nothing. Right. Um, I really don't think that's true. I think there's like significant um, benefit to actually producing something meaningful with your work and your time. And I think people were made to work. Like, I really don't think we were, we're not at our best when we're lounging on a beach our entire lives. Humans aren't made to be idle. And right. well, two points to to that, I guess. One, I was talking to Pete Keebler yesterday and, and he was on Lost Time. He's like, I hate, I hate when I don't have anything to do on board. And, and I've had the same exact experience. And the book actually talks about this too, where it says, it, in the, I think one of the, the chapters was titled this where the the author goes isn't that the dream if you're literally getting paid to do nothing and he's like why is it that people get so distraught by that and he and he just brings up the emotional distress you feel useless you feel like you're not contributing to society and that's that's a just a terrible feeling yeah it's a horrible burden yeah right the feeling of being useless and you're spending all your time doing something you don't want to do and uh, it, it just becomes an endless cycle, you know? Yeah. I don't think we were made for endless leisure. No, no. I mean, sure, vacation is nice. It is. But <laughs> I don't want vacation for the rest of my life. You well, know? they talk about that. Like, I know, um, like, people that retire. That's I, Maybe that's why my grandfather uh, has resisted retirement. I think it is, actually, because he's, he's talked to people who... Um, they don't know what to do after the first month. It's like, okay, and what next? You have to like find ways to keep yourself busy because it's boring. You can only play so many rounds of golf and collect so many <laughs> seashells That's what they all say, on the yeah. seashore before you start wondering what you're doing with your life. Golf's an expensive habit too. I'm learning that. I don't, I don't really like that part of it. <laughs> yeah, someone said that um, it's kind of like the key to business deals though are all on the golf course. I've heard that. Uh, I don't know if it's true or not. But. I think there's, there's, an, there's an element of that that's true. Uh, there's, I've heard of people... In business school, I heard of people who um, basically get paid to negotiate deals on the golf course. Actually, I think I, I met someone one time that did that. And I texted my grandfather. I was like, hey, I'm signing up for this job. <laughs> and he's like, go for it. <laughs> but That's his job? Yeah. The, well, they, these people, they I'm assuming you're good at golf too. You negotiate on the course. So there is some of that. But I think that's kind of, I don't know, that's changing too. You know, with the because there's also an element of that that's like the old boys club, but yeah, yeah, so I mean, cultural I, changes are probably healthy in that department. You know, I like golf, um, but usually, usually, uh, my friends and I aren't exactly negotiating business deals when we're on the golf course. I'll tell the, tell you that. Yeah, and maybe just for fun. That seems like a, a good <laughs> yeah. thing to do, right? Yeah. So I guess let's. I got we we I think we've had a great conversation so far, but let's talk about some of the, some of the, uh, the the stuff that we. Uh, I've got here. We don't have to talk about all of it, but so we've touched on it a little bit. But you've got a little bit different of a background than a lot of people here. Um, a lot of people have 
either grown up in the business or have grown up around manufacturing or went to trade school and got into got into this world. Um, you didn't do any of that, really, right? You you went to you, you're still you're finishing up your degree in psychology. That's correct. Yeah. So can I mean can you explain? I'd, I'd be interested to hear your journey and and what made you think about manufacturing or be intrigued by intrigued by the idea of manufacturing and, and what how'd you walk in here? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, yeah, the first job I ever had was I worked at a, a greenhouse, this plant market, and I think I started when I was 16, and it was you know all manual labor. Uh, you're driving a forklift around, you're unloading and unloading dirt, and <laughs> so it was in a greenhouse, so it was you know 120 degrees in the summer. Oh. And you'd work 60 plus hour weeks. And I did that for um, probably around three years at least. And I loved it. And so I did get some hands-on labor work, but it was certainly no skilled trade uh, experience <laughs> there at all. And um, so I kind of floated around jobs when I was in school. Um, I'm at UB for psychology right now. And... Um, I did a little. I did an internship at M&T Bank, doing some data work for them. They had a like a financial crimes internship, so oh, yeah. um, that was a really cool opportunity, and I learned a lot. Um, I got really good at Excel uh, that <laughs> summer, but um, most recently, um, I was working a retail job uh, here in Buffalo, and uh, I worked there for about a year, and I kind of realized that. You know, this is not for me. Um, Wait, I know where you were at, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I just, yeah, it's a funny story. Yeah, but, I could, I, I know one of the guys that worked there. I heard some stories as well. Yeah, it, it kind of became just an unhealthy place to work. And there was a lot of drama going on. And I realized it doesn't make any sense for me to be here. Like, this isn't my career someday. So I don't have to deal with this. And yeah. it's not worth it. And so um, I started looking around and kind of the key in all of this is Mike Okie mm -hmm. because he's a really good family friend and him and my dad get coffee together all the time. And uh, we used to go to church together, actually, okay. Mike and I. And so um, I was telling my dad about my woes at this retail job and how <laughs> I didn't want to be there. And he said, you know, you should talk to Mike. Talk to Mike. Mike. Yeah, I might have something for you. And my younger brother actually toured here. Uh, Mike showed him around oh. probably years ago. And he didn't like it. <laughs> he didn't want to do it. Um, and so I'll, I had that as my context. And I was like, ah, maybe. And I put it off for a little while. Mm -hmm. And then I was complaining to my dad again. And he said, well, maybe we should talk to Mike. <laughs> so I sent Mike a text. And he set up a time to come uh, come here. And he showed me around a little bit. And I had no idea what I was going to do here because I was considering, well, maybe I, I have zero experience in any of this, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not a machinist. I'm not a welder. I can't do any of it. So I said, well, maybe I would just start from scratch. Like I'm open to learning how to do basically anything. Yeah. And, um, and so I kind of told that to Mike when I was here. I said, I don't really know where I fit in, but, um, I'm more than interested to see where I could fit in. And so we talked some more. And then um, you called me shortly thereafter. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> um, which was really funny. 
kind of a cold call. Yeah. He did, he'd never met me, didn't know who I was, but Mike said, just call this guy. Is that how that went? Did he just say, hey, just call this kid? That's literally exactly how it went. And I mean, I, yeah, like you said, Mike, Mike deserves a, pretty much all of the credit here because he saw it right away and and in you and, and I, where was I think I was vi- actually visiting a school or something that day and he left me a message or an email or something and he's like hey give this give this kid a call I think it'll be worth your time and that's where that's where it started from our end so yeah I, so you gave me a call and then uh, you gave me a tour around the place and we talked and I I was thinking about this prior to actually having the podcast um <laughs> I think to your credit and to HFW's credit, you know, a lot of jobs and job postings, like there wasn't an official job posting for some guy who doesn't know what he wants to do, yeah. right? So I came in kind of a, really a wild card. And you could have said, well, you don't really fit into a machinist welder. Sorry, we don't have anything for you, right? Like that's fairly standard. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead you said, well, we're going to create this position that we think would be a good fit that could be really helpful to the company. So expediting, right? And I didn't really know what that meant, practically speaking, <laughs> um, but I was still open to try it. Yeah. And so um, I think I think HFW and you and Mike and Pete deserve a lot of credit for trying to fit me into a role that would make sense, that would be a good fit, even if that role didn't exist prior. And am I correct that I'm the first person you technically hired or were in the process of hiring or then created a position for, because that would have been kind of, you're taking a pretty big risk in that case, because you didn't know who I was. <laughs> I mean, this position was new. You basically just had Mike's word and, <laughs> you know, the tour and my interview to go off of. So that's kind of a big risk there. Yeah. Yeah, I hired you and Giovanni on the same day, but I talked, Giovanni's was more informal because I mean, and a credit to him, he's, you know, one of the hardest working dudes you'll find. Yeah. I mean, he, he literally walked in the door here and filled out an application, was looking for anything. And um, uh, I remember making the calls on the same day. And and uh, the way, and actually, he's similar, too, because he, he didn't have a, his background was working for FedEx. And he's a young guy, too. So uh, but what we looked at with both of those and, and, and other hires, too, and, and hires we're trying to make is what I was always coached in was hiring for culture, training for skill. And so if you can find the right people, they may not have the, the skill you need right now, but if they're the right person culturally, you can get them there. And I think that's what HFW has done all along. I think right now we've got a really great group of like a core group of people here that are good cultural fits because HFW doesn't work for everyone. You know, like it's some people don't like the shop environment or, um, like you said, your brother, like manufacturing just, or, or at least our type of manufacturing wasn't for him. And that's okay. We're not trying to be everything for everyone. But, um, f- I, f- like talking with Mike, we had just, him and I, I think just saw in you, like just have a really great person. I think you're just a born leader, honestly. And, um, and you've, you've proven us right. So thank you. But, uh, I think that, we want we we felt comfortable taking that risk and and we want to take that risk more with with other people too like we have with Jawani and, and a bunch of others uh, i can go down the list of people we've done that with and uh those have turned out to be our like i'm thinking of the older guys that we've taken that risk and they've turned out to be some of our our best people so um 
you, you know, I think sometimes you take that little bit of risk and, and it's not like it's a huge risk from our side. Like right? you come in and, um, I don't, I just, I, I, and I've really been knocking on the table and trying to really push that. I don't think knocking on the table is the right saying, but whatever. Um, we'll go with it. Yeah. I'm, I'm bad about those, but, uh, pounding on the table. I don't know. Anyway, you get the point. Um, the, we just, I really feel that like, if you can get the right people in here, we'll find a way and, and we'll get people to a level where they'll need to be, especially as we've got, you know, we've had a little bit of, uh, of we've seen the, this, this talent shift as we, a bunch of our people have retired. Uh, we just had Lynn last week after 28 years, we had Joe Federio after 43 years. I mean, that's whatever 28 plus 43 is can't do that in my head right now, but you know, 60, 70, some years of experience right there just walks out the door and within a couple months of each other and obviously different positions, different skills and, and whatever. But so it, it takes time to build that. And I think if you can get good people in here um, that you, and, and like you said, you've been exposed to rich and Fred and all these guys and now and Lynn, and uh, now you can, you, you've got the right mindset where you take the good stuff and you take the the stuff that they do really well and you learn from it and then you say, well, okay, how can I adapt that to what I've learned in my experience? And uh, I think it's going to, that's the type of stuff we looked for. So I, I think you've been a good fit so far on that. Well, uh, thank you for your, your kind words there. Um, yeah, I, I think that's kind of um, where I've gotten lucky is because of people like, you know, um, with experience here who have been able to help teach me and explain what it is we do here. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't even really think of the world of manufacturing prior to starting here. Yeah. You know, like that wasn't something that was on my radar of either careers or even really industries. Like I think the the most people don't think about manufacturing because they don't need to. Right. Yeah. And maybe that's just the consumer world we live in. Yeah. But, you know, I don't look at things. And well, I do now, but I didn't <laughs> used to look at things and think about how it was made. Right. It's just yeah. there. And that's all I ever really need to know. But um, I think HFW has given me a cool perspective, uh, our new perspective of just realizing that there's craftsmanship in everything and starting to appreciate that a little bit more. You know, well, I think. Also, manufacturing's kind of hidden too, right? Like you go to the store and you buy food or you buy a toy or a car or whatever. Many like people, I can't tell you the number of people that have lived in this neighborhood. We're in the Riverside neighborhood in Buffalo. That have lived in this neighborhood and they're like, I, I had no idea you guys were there. Yeah, and, and and they live right around here. They've grown up around here. Um, so it's kind of like this hidden world, and so that's why we, you know, we brought Devon in and we're trying to get the word out and be more um, in the community uh, because we have to tell our story because the story, it wasn't that someone else was telling the story for us. There was no storytelling. And, and it's not just us, it's manufacturing and, and I think the trades and, and heavy industry as a whole. Um, that story wasn't getting told because, you know, previously I think there was a lot of concern about liability and, um, you know, saying too much, which we still have to be very careful about. That's something it's tough to market stuff when we have, you know, trade agreements and, and, uh, um, you know, 
proprietary information, we can we have to really limit what we share, which is tough when we because we, we do some really cool stuff. Yeah. Um. So, but we can still tell the story and do it in a way that conveys how cool it is the stuff we do. And, um, you know, I, I think our generation is is a little bit better at that than the previous generation was, and it's because we have to be right. This this gen this company. If people don't know about this company, if our generation doesn't know about this company, we're not going to survive because we need to replace so many people who are retiring, who have earned their retirement, um, and now need to, you know, their spots need to be filled. So it's just, that's why, you know, I think someone like you is a great, is, is such a great person for us because, uh, well, a great testimonial in the first place, but also, you know, whereas a lot of, Right now, I think a lot of our, our veteran machinists, they probably know a lot of machinists, which is great. And we've always used that. But now, our our generation, there aren't as many people in the trades. It's, you know, you don't have that that network as much. And so we need to build it again. And I think, you know, so someone who's new to it and can hopefully spread the good word about it, um, that's what we need more of. Yeah, and I think it's, um, it was a shock to me how much, I think money you could make in manufacturing, but also that, um, you know, manufacturing has this reputation of being like a really dirty business. Yeah. You know, like yeah. people get injured all the time. It's unsafe. It's, you know, you get paid peanuts <laughs> and um, you it's kind of your last resort, right? It's like people say this about the military too. Yeah. They say things like, well, you know, I couldn't hack it at college, so I went into the military. <laughs> and like, maybe that's true for some people, but not for the people who are really good at their jobs in the military, right? It's like anything. The You're, SEALs, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There, there's always going to be people in a career or a field where they're kind of the bottom 10%. Yeah. That always exists. And so you shouldn't use that to generalize to the entire population, but... Um, I just didn't know that about manufacturing, that you could have a really solid career, you could make really good money, and you could be fulfilled producing something tangible, yeah. right? Again, to go back to our previous conversation, like I didn't realize that was such a viable option, and it just never crossed my mind, right? Yeah. So much of, of people's preconceived notion, I think, goes back to the fact that we, as an industry, Manufacturing hasn't effectively told its story because people, everyone assumed it's the same thing in construction and mining. When you think of a miner, because mine, mining companies haven't told their story in so many years, when you say mining, people think of an underground coal mine in like the early 1900s. It is what I thought of. Yeah, yeah, you're covered in soot. I mean, it's very similar to machining and, and what we do. You know, you, you, Imagine a dark, dingy factory and fire everywhere and, yeah, hands and arms falling off. And like, <laughs> none of that's true anymore. But the fact is, the story hasn't been retold because people people saw that. So then manufacturers and, and heavy industry, I feel like, kind of, kind of retreated. And they're like, we don't want anyone else to know. You can't take any pictures because you can't see. Well, now it's all changed. You know, it's brightly lit. Um, injuries are, are very rare. Um, severe injuries are almost non-existent. Um, and, uh, right. you know, it's, but that story hasn't gotten told. And so, um, I, it's an exciting opportunity for someone in our positions where we're younger in our careers, because you said, you know, that 
There's so many different opportunities you can make good money. But now it's it's telling the story so that there's other people can see what's there. I mean, yeah, that you touched on the money thing. I mean, this is the American dream in a lot of ways. And not just our company, although we work very hard at it. But you know, you can come here. We had people that would you know come here with little more than a high school degree, sometimes, you know, not even a high school degree or they had gotten their GED or something. And they go on and make really good money. People are making upper five figures, six figures even with little more than high school education. I mean, that that kind of trajectory, there's the narrative that that kind of trajectory is dead in America. You know, that that, that progression in the American dream. And in a lot of cases it is, but in, in manufacturing industries like ours, it's still very much a, a very feasible thing that you can easily do with hard work and time. I think maybe another underrated aspect of manufacturing is the stability and security. Yeah. Right. And you're talking about opportunities. You know, a lot of people want to work for really sexy companies oh, doing yeah, tech I jobs. I know. <laughs> and I mean, you're looking right now at all these layoffs and you're not going to see huge machinist layoffs no. because they're so high in demand. We can't possibly get enough of them. Yeah. And it may not, you know, on the surface seem as sexy as doing a nothing job for Google, right? But actually, it's incredibly rewarding. Not that I'm a machinist, but um, working in manufacturing, there's so much opportunity here for someone who's hungry and humble and willing to go through the training process if they don't have any experience in manufacturing and they're willing to learn and I think there's the world is your oyster at that point. Absolutely. I, I think that's such a huge part of it. And, and, and that's why we we're we're trying some of these new things like the podcast, like the marketing, just getting that story out. And, you know, like I, I told Devon, our marketing guy from the, the very first day, part of your job is marketing customers, you know, traditional marketing, but part of your job is, is uh, marketing to potential employees as well. Yeah. Um, because that's, we need to tell that story. And so um, I just think that that is, is such a critical part to growing the business. And um, we're very committed to doing that. I mean, the first thing I did when I heard about HFW was go to your website, <laughs> right? And maybe that's a generational thing and for yeah, better or my grandfather for, does that too. So yeah. And maybe it's the world we live in, which is very like media heavy. Yeah. But I went to check out the website, you know, and this was prior to, I think you working on it and Devon working on it and getting it kind of uh, revamped. We have a new and, site coming soon. Yes. Yes. Um, which is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that's what, that's the world we live in where your online presence, and this is why Devon's work is actually so important. Your online presence is huge. Yeah. And it may not seem like anything to a lot of the old school veterans who are, you know, doing the work. But when you're looking at the future and you're looking at getting new employees and getting younger guys in the shop, to train, how you present yourself to the rest of the world digitally really does matter, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, especially a small business like ours, we don't have the name brand of the tech companies or even the bigger manufacturers, but 
and this is a, a, a sweeping generalization, but those big companies, like you just said, they had 10,000 people laid off, 20,000 people laid off. That, that just reduces people in numbers. And that sucks. And um, that's like the exact opposite of what we do here. And um, and again, I'd, I we work very hard to, to do that, but I don't think we're necessarily special. I think there's a lot of great companies like that. And so that's why I'm a, I'm just a big advocate of, of small business and giving the, the, the company you've never heard of before an opportunity. Cause there's so many companies like that in America and they'll blow you away with what they have to offer. Um, all right. So we've gone through a lot of this stuff more or less. I think it's kind of taken a winding path. I don't mind it though. I think it's good. Yeah, no, this has been great. Um, I'm curious though, what is something that most people at HFW wouldn't know about you? So I was, Full disclosure, I was given prompts for these questions prior to the podcast. <laughs> Hopefully there's no trade secrets there. But um, I think one thing that people might not know is that I was actually homeschooled until college. So wow. from you know birth until high school graduation, uh, I was homeschooled. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't, yeah. I think you did tell me that, but... Possibly. But wow. Yeah, so my, my dad's a high school science teacher. Um, he teaches at Wilson schools and, uh, I think my mom has her early childhood education degree. I, I think that's what it is. I can't remember which one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, uh, I have four siblings. So there's five kids total, all of whom have been homeschooled or are currently being homeschooled. Oh my gosh. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's always a fun little fact to throw out there. <laughs> the the response I get is a lot is, well, you're not. I wouldn't have guessed that you were homeschooled, which I always think is a hilarious response. You're normal. Wow. You you can talk to people. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. So that's kind of funny. So oh, that's interesting that your dad's a high school teacher and, and chose to homeschool you. It is. Um, I'm not sure I 100% fully understand his thought process behind that. I think part of it was he thought him and uh, my mom could do a better job or at least um, they've got the background, I guess. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of freedom. I know homeschooling got super popular during COVID. Oh, well, uh, you had to, you had to homeschool your kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little bit different. I mean, my parents were homeschooling um, you know, 20 years before COVID, but before it was sexy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so I just think they thought they could do a better job than the public school system. And I, I personally loved it. I know homeschooling is not for everyone and it really matters who your parents are too. Mm-hmm. But um, I had so much freedom growing up that other kids did not in school. So you're given a lot of autonomy, uh, sort of. You're given a lot of structure, which I think is important. And it depends, again, how you do homeschooling. My my parents were very structured. It wasn't you could sleep until 10 and then do school in your pajamas all day. You know, it was you're starting school at 7 a.m. You're going to be fully dressed at the kitchen table doing your math homework. Like that's that's great. That was kind of the structure I had, which I think helped a lot. But also, I loved to read growing up. So if I could crank out all my work for the day by one o'clock or by noon, if I was really diligent, I'd have the rest of the day to go outside, hang out with my friends or read books. And I loved that. You know, I'd have friends who are still stuck in school until four <laughs> o'clock and then have two hours of homework. And I don't know, that just sucked. <laughs> now I, <laughs> I wouldn't be homeschooled. You know. <laughs> yeah. That's so awesome. 
I I don't think homeschooling is for everyone, but I loved it. And so I was given a lot of freedom to explore hobbies, interests I had, do so much reading. Um, yeah, I loved the freedom of that. And I think my parents did a really good job with that. That's really cool. So I guess follow-up question then, what was it like for you going to college? Was that like, I feel like college is somewhat similar in, to homeschooling in a way that it's a lot more... Um, it's a lot more unstructured. Like you go to class, but then you do whatever you want with your time. Like, how was that experience? So I think you would assume it'd be a huge like culture shock, but it wasn't at all. In fact, it was really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the reason is because as I got, when I was, I don't know, 16, 17, there were, there were several subjects that I was more or less teaching myself. So, um, certain math levels or science levels would my mom would be like all right i'm gonna just delegate this to dad (laughs) to teach you you know bio or chemistry or something like that yeah and so i'd have you know a textbook and i'd have like the the problem sets or whatever and i'd work through it on my own and then dad would come home from work and we'd go over kind of what i did and so it was very self-directed that's what college is yeah oh totally there's no one over your shoulder forcing you to do assignments to go to class which is why so many kids out of public school go to college and then they end up either really struggling because there's no parent or teacher telling them what to do right it's not self-directed at all in high school and so i already had that experience of having to teach myself things and um the transition was actually really easy and um, i'm very thankful for my parents giving me the training to learn how to, you know, take information, you know, into my brain myself and the freedom to mess up and figure all that out. Um, it really made it painless, which was kind of counterintuitive, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that they always talk about, you know, being a helicopter parent kind of backfires when your kid goes to college because then they're, it's like their mind explodes because there's so much autonomy. They don't even know what to do with themselves. Yeah. And I feel like your parents kind of primed you pretty well for not just college, but I guess the real world. Um, you you always kind of had a little bit of that autonomy and figuring out how to get stuff done in a way that was productive and that um, gave you time to do what you wanted, but also you weren't slacking off. So I feel like it's kind of it was a good balance. Yeah. And I think the other big thing people talk about is, you know, socialization. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people are like, well, what about prom or what about friends? <laughs> and um my parents did a fantastic job with that. So like I played on sports, I played baseball mm-hmm. most of my life. Um, I went to summer camp. I worked at summer camp. I had jobs. It wasn't like I was, you know, in a bunker in the backyard <laughs> my whole life, you know, just me and the cows, um, yeah. you know, so, but again, everyone does it differently to varying degrees of success, but I will say I was super blessed by how my parents did that and it worked out really well. So, yeah, well, it, seems like it so thanks (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right well i guess last question we're going a little bit longer but i think this is great it's been a great conversation um and this actually i thought of this one yesterday i'm pretty pretty proud of this one let me tell you Um, all right but can you give a shout out to someone at hfw that you think is doing great work and deserves recognition this is a really good question and i was talking to my wife uh yesterday about this question (laughs) Um, and I was just rattling off all the people I thought deserved recognition, right? <laughs> and at, at some point, I hit like 
10 people. <laughs> and my wife goes, you can't say 10 people because then you're just diluting the water, right? Eh, maybe, if you say yeah. everyone's great, yeah, then you start true. to wonder who are you not saying, yeah, right? Yeah, and so yeah. who's not doing a good job? Yeah. But um, if I had to pick one person, I think Zelko uh, deserves recognition. He does a freaking fantastic job. That guy is a worker, right? I come in relatively early in the morning. I'm here 10, 15 minutes early. He's always here before me. <laughs> Every single time, I have never beaten Zelko wow. to work in the morning. Um, also, we play chess every day for lunch, so I have a soft spot for that. <laughs> um, but he's got a good attitude. You can hear his laugh from across the shop because it's, <laughs> it's so distinct. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that guy is, is awesome. And he's another one of those guys that has so much experience. And just a cool backstory too. I don't know if you'll be, ever be able to have him on the podcast. That'd be really interesting to try. But um, man, like every time I hear more about his background, it's it's mind blowing that he's even here. Um, so I think he deserves a lot of credit. You know? Yeah. I mean, he's he's a great pick. I just a very hard worker, and I, the most actually, you were there for this. The the one of the coolest things that I've experienced and it actually involves Zelko was when, um, uh, so Jacob and I went to a, a job fair, um, trying to find, um, more people to add to the team. And some guy walks up and turns out it's Zelko's son. He's like, I'm Zelko's son. You're or my dad works for you. I'm Zelko's son. Yeah, surgeon. I think surgeon. his name was. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it was just, it was, it was su such a cool thing to happen. And, um, you just to see, I mean, not just the next generation, but also, um, we could just express how much Zelko means to the company and, uh, how much his work is valued. And, um, he's just one of those old school machinists and, uh, does great work hard, Like you mentioned, hard worker. Um, and doesn't, you know, you barely hear a peep from, well, except when he's, talking everyone always thinks he's mad he's just talking but because he's so, he has a very loud his voice carries it's a very distinct voice too so i'm <laughs> sure that adds to it yeah. yeah and he's just you know one of those those guys that that generation of, of people like I, I i hope that we can replicate it but i i don't, I don't know like i lord knows how long he's been running a machine and i mean just the knowledge and the skill that he has um and I, I always think it's cool. Like you, you mentioned you play chess with him. I always think it's cool just seeing how multifaceted our guys are. And Zelko's a good example. Joe Federio, who was who had retired right before you started, uh, he was big into cooking, and he'd always show me pictures of his pizzas. I'm, I'm, I think everyone has a story about Joe's pizzas. That classic Italian move, right there. <laughs> yeah. I like it. So I mean, in all sorts of examples, you know, guys have uh, car collections and they fix up things and. Um, I, I just love seeing people's, um, you know, you, when you come to work, you see everyone in their, the, in their role, like as a machinist or an engineer or an accountant. Um, and so seeing people's passions and what they do outside of work and, um, you know, the things that they're really, they're really excited about is, is really cool. I, I agree. I, um, there's so many guys at HFW who love to cook. Yeah. And I'm, re I'm realizing that there's so many that are like, just make amazing food and they'll bring it in most days which is awesome because <laughs> you know you get to try this awesome food but yeah i think it does a disservice to you know manufacturing to think of it as anything less than this like rewarding career with people who are 
smart and talented and multifaceted and cultured in so many ways you wouldn't realize, right? You think, uh, I used to think, you know, like manufacturing welder or something. Mm -hmm. Um, you have this picture in your head, like the coal miners, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, no one thinks of a coal miner and thinks they can cook or play chess, but like, but they can, (laughs) they can, a lot of them do. (laughs) And so it's just this, this weird dynamic yet breaking down these, you know, uh, misconceptions changing the perception yeah. right it's what we keep talking about i feel like we keep coming back to it yeah that might be the theme right yeah. through uh, this podcast yeah. but there's yeah, a so title right there there you go if i haven't named if i haven't titled another one i have to go back make sure i haven't titled it. but I, I yeah i totally agree i think you're hit the nail on the head with that one that's good uh well jacob this has been an awesome conversation hopefully uh people are still awake at this point in the podcast if they listen through this far uh we appreciate that uh, anything else you'd like to add before we get, close it up today? No, just uh, that this has been a lot of fun and I appreciate you having me on. Um, I think it's funny you had me after Rich Hender. <laughs> I think that's awesome. But yeah. uh, this has been this has been good and I really appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you having on. It's funny because it. I feel like all the podcasts are starting to go together now because Mike Okia is next. And the reason he's next is because he actually he actually said he'd be excited to come on, which is not the reaction I normally get. So I'm I'm very appreciative to him. So he's next. That's awesome. So that'll be great. Yeah. So this is a great episode. We got another great episode coming up. Uh, but in the meantime, thanks for listening, and we will see you on the next one. Thanks. <laughs>